0: Here's Tom Fortino, the founder and principal at the Alpha Wealth Group. You can hear him with our Elise Glink Sunday mornings from 7 to 8 talking about your wealth. It's called The Week in Wealth, and it looks like it's going to be another winning week on Wall Street, Uh, Tom. Are you happy with where the market is or how it's performed so far this year?
1: Well, I mean, four weeks in a row of growth, I guess you're going to be happy. I don't know how anyone could be disappointed unless you're maybe sitting in cash, but It's always a positive when we see four weeks in a row of growth, and that's a good thing. I guess I can't say, you can't be negative about that. I don't know who could be, but
0: it's good. Unless you're sitting in cash. But maybe that person will get the last laugh because the market's going to drop below where it is, and eventually that money migrates back into the market. But are some people sitting on the sidelines still? Are they afraid to get in? There are definitely
1: people that are still sitting on the sidelines. I mean, I'm sure you've seen the numbers, you know, how many trillions of dollars are still sitting in cash or money markets. I meet with a lot of people that are still holding large amounts of cash. And uh, and so that's a tough one because, um, you know, you just can't time the market. You can't predict it. Yeah. And so you have to be very careful um, when you do those types of things. And so there's just a lot of, there's a mixed bag of things coming out. I mean, you know, all these numbers we're getting hit with, your head's kind of got to be on a swivel right now with all of these things we're getting uh we're getting all this data
0: this is kind of an interesting predicament maybe or decision for some people if i can get a lot if i can get a fair return these days on a treasury bill or on an i bond but the mm-hmm. market is also down i wonder if even in the short term, you know, a year or five, Mm -hmm. if I put money into those products, I can guarantee a return of four or more percent. But maybe the market in that time frame is going to do better than Mm -hmm. 4%. So maybe I should just keep throwing the money back into stocks, you know, into mutual funds. Mm -hmm. What do you say about that decision tree for people, Tom?
1: Well, you know, the, as far as it goes with fixed, I get it. The four percent, we're starting to see some, um, you know, yield here that we were not seeing for the past thirteen, fourteen years, whatever it may be, and that's tempting. And I, I think that can be part of your fixed piece, but I also think you have to be careful because, you know, the market, uh, as far as what percentage you are saying, I'm comfortable having in growth or having in the market. So you would continue on those lines, if they okay, I'm comfortable with 50 or 60% exposure to the market, that's where the growth is. That's historically where the growth is. So I think to abandon that um, in the long run is not going to serve you well. Um, so there's always a balance, right, you know, depending on where you're at. And so if, if we've had this conversation before, look, if you're 15 years out from retirement and you're doing systematic contributions to a 401K, even in some of the worst 10-year periods, like from 2000 to 2010, you were still up, on average, um, five, over 5% a year in a market that was flat for 10 years if you're doing systematic contributions. Now, if you're two years out from retirement or you're in retirement, that's a different story. But, again, it's, you know, um, with longevity and so on, growth is typically going to be a part of your portfolio no matter what.
0: Of course, if I'm getting 4% and in inflation is 6%, <laughs> at least I'm only losing two. We're talking to Tom Fortino. Uh, Tom Fortino, you hear Sunday mornings on WGN Radio with our Elise Glink. Uh, Tom, we were just kind of chuckling a minute ago about, hooray, I can get 4%, but mm-hmm. I'm going to pay 6% on uh, in inflation these days. But that number's going down, right? Are you encouraged by the direction or maybe the speed with which we're tapering off right now?
1: Well, again, it's a good sign when the trend is going down, of course, and uh, because a couple things from that, obviously, um, we're not spending as much. Unfortunately, food and energy are still higher than the uh, CPI or the PC, which came out today. But that's the problem. You know, those everyday things, unfortunately. But it is coming down. Again, you can't criticize that. Um, So the flip side of that, too, is what's the Fed going to do, which is part of this whole equation um, if they don't, Raise as much because they see this coming down again. That's another positive for the market, and you're seeing. I think that's why you're seeing um, what we're seeing in the market right now. I mean, earnings have not been too stellar, but those are some of the things that are helping uh, this market today.
0: Yeah, no kidding. Uh, The S and P is up. um, Let's see today. So it looks like it's heading for a winning week. I don't know. I'm always looking on the bright side. I'm always trying to cheer (laughs) things on. And maybe that's a rose-colored glass. I mean, what should I be more worried about, Tom?
1: Um, well, I mean, as far as how does all this data affect your your sense of what you're doing in this market? I mean, I would say, you know, housing is certainly an issue, right? Um, it's a mixed bag, as I said. You can look at some things and say, well, GDP came out a little higher than we thought, two point you know nine versus two point six, so it means the economy is growing. Um, but then you look at some of these other things where we're starting to see maybe some more layoffs. Is this the canary in the coal mine, you yeah. know, housing, yeah. new, um, existing home sales are down dramatically, I think down over 30% year over year. And that is a big harbinger for what's going to happen in the market. So there's, uh, I think there's a lot of, uh, we're not out of the woods yet. And I think there's some volatility ahead. Um, but that doesn't mean for the average investor, abandon your plan. You know you can 't you can 't make moves on these short term events, but um, you know it certainly doesn 't mean you can 't revisit your plan
0: We are hearing here on the winrust business lunch that the other shoe or foot is going to drop that for instance all, all of that or most of that two point nine percent growth was government spending, and that if you strip that out actually. Retail or private sector spending uh, was off. So I wonder mm-hmm. if people really are curtailing their visits to the store or the restaurant or travel or whatever.
1: Yeah, we have to keep in mind when we're getting a lot of these numbers, these are rear-view mirror numbers, right? It's, it's just like stocks. When you see, hey, a stock had great earnings, why is it down? Well, their guidance can be bad, right? And it's the same thing with this. We're looking at last quarter's growth. What does it look like going forward? Retail sales, you know, were down last um, last or for this month, for last month. They were down. We see savings and credit cards and these things. So again, you could have arguments on both sides of where this is heading, uh, but there are a lot of headwinds. I think you still need to be careful. If you have a portfolio, I think it's more of a dimmer switch approach, you know than again, making big moves. We just have to be careful uh, but I think the, the bigger picture is um, there's going to be some uh, there's going to be some volatility, I think, going forward.
0: Uh, one last thing, Tom, then I'll let you go. But you always talk about taxes. I know with your clients and with us on the radio, and mm-hmm. it's tax season now. Anything I should be doing or thinking about to mitigate my taxes?
1: Well, you know, there's things you can do. Certainly, you have until April fifteenth. It's the, the tax year ended on December thirty first, so you're limited. But you have until April fifteenth to make contributions to IRAs if you want to reduce it. Um, I think more of a forward tax planning is. You know me. I'm a big fan of Roth. So you have until April fifteenth to do contributions to Roth. If you're over age fifty, that's seven thousand. It's seventy five hundred this year because we're in twenty twenty three. That's you know, fourteen thousand five hundred an individual can do that will grow tax free for the rest of their lives. Imagine if they would have bought Tesla at one hundred and nine, which is now at one fifty, one seventy. Hey, that's all tax free going forward. So those are things you can do um, to get some some monies and keep it hundred percent in yours going
0: forward. But uh, a Roth, you pay the taxes up front, right? Yeah, you
1: make after-tax contributions, so it is not a tax-deductible contribution, but the money grows tax-free the rest of your life. It will never be taxable. The tax rate on it is always zero, so it's a good thing to do. You'll be happy down the road you did it.
0: And the rule of thumb is do it when you're younger or presumably when your income is less. Is that right?
1: Well, I would do it, you know, you can do, if you're contributing to a 401k where you're doing pre-tax, you can still do an IRA so um, a Roth IRA, I should say. So maybe this is kind of you're doing some tax diversification, kind of like investment diversification. I don't know if there's ever a bad time to try to get money into tax free. So, you know, you can do well, it. Uh, pardon me, yep. but
0: I mean, but, but if I may, just my understanding was if I'm uh, at the peak of my earning, then I'm at the peak of my tax exposure uh-huh. and I'm going to pay a higher tax on that on investment, I uh, uh-huh. would we'll be better off. Um, not putting it in a Roth IRA then, putting that money somewhere else and taxing it on the back end when my income is lower, right?
1: Well, I mean, that's been the typical approach to it. Now, I'm not saying that's wrong, but where are future tax rates going to be? Right now, we're still, we have three more years oh, left yeah. on right. the 2017 Tax Cut and Jobs Act. So, you know, is it worth it to pay 22% on something now to never pay tax on it the rest of your life? I don't know. It's pretty compelling.
0: Right. Now that you mention it, we've we've been to this point in this conversation before where I'm assuming that when I'm older and my income is less, my tax exposure will be less. But then you go, yeah, but how do you know they're not going to raise taxes in your bracket anyway? So maybe just get it in now, let it grow tax-free, and enjoy the benefits on the other end. That's Tom Fortino. You'll hear him with Elise Glink Sunday morning at 7. He's a principal at the Alpha Wealth Group. Okay, Tom, we'll be listening Sunday morning.
1: Thanks, John. Have a great weekend.
0: So everybody wonders, well, how much money do I need to retire someday? Maybe you are and you're wondering if it's going to hold out. And the answer to that question is in part predicated on where you live, of course. Here's Jacob Channel, the senior economist at LendingTree.com. Jacob, thanks for joining us today.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Is it a number first that we start with? I think people think or at least used to a million dollars. Is that a good starting point?
2: Yeah, you know, depending, like you said, depending on where you live, uh, certainly, for example, in the Chicago area, a million bucks or so is probably a pretty good starting point for most people, though it's certainly not, you know, a hard and fast rule. If you've got a little bit less than that, you know, you, you don't have to pack it up and call it a day. You'll probably be okay. But yeah, around a million bucks or so is is a good kind of
0: ballpark figure for for a lot of people, most people. A, a million dollars in some sort of portfolio right bonds and stocks whatever your comfort level is and exposure is right is that what we're talking about
2: yeah so really it's it's sort of a million dollars in in assets like you said bond stocks or other types of things that you can over the course of your retirement cash out and use sort of to fund your lifestyle uh so you know certainly you want it want it to be in something that's completely and totally illiquid really really hard to sell i don't know um you know your beanie baby collection or something like that but by that same token certainly investing in stocks or something is probably going to be a better option than just hoarding
0: cash underneath your mattress are we talking real estate as well that is is that included in that million dollar assets
2: um it can be though you know the answer that will also sort of depend on what you plan to do with your real estate so for example if you want to live in your home uh for the rest of your days you know maybe you wouldn't include it because like i said you want to sort of be able to access that money at some point point. and if you're living in your home uh, especially if you're older and you know don't necessarily have a, a job you're retired or something like that it can be harder to access cash from your home uh, but you know on the other side of things if you're planning on selling a house and it's worth quite a bit of money it can be something that you view as a portion of your your overall nest egg
0: Some people um, take out a reverse mortgage on their home and actually pull the equity out while they're living there. But um, I I, I noticed that you guys said you need more than a million dollars to retire with an average lifestyle in 147 of 384 U.S. metros. So what's that? Uh, A a little less than half of the places. A million dollars will afford you an average lifestyle. Am I reading that right? yep that's correct and the worst place or most expensive place also the most fabulous place to live is uh, i presume southern california or northern california san francisco
2: yep that's exactly correct
0: san francisco most expensive click off some other towns for me where is it expensive to retire in? where is it inexpensive to retire in
2: is the where is it most expensive it's your usual suspects your san francisco's your new york cities san diego honolulu if you want to go to hawaii um, and even some other places that are really popular among retirees like miami for example or some other florida metros uh, on the opposite end of the spectrum it's it's you know probably not to offend anyone but maybe it's some slightly lesser known areas um akron ohio albany georgia um you know alexandria louisiana uh, so a lot of more southern states, uh, a lot a lot of metros in more southern states, a lot of maybe less super populated metropolitan areas. They're still metropolitan areas. They're still cities, but certainly they're not megacities like like a New York City or, or even a San Francisco or something like that. Um, like, so, you know, I think... Go
0: ahead. Well, I've just noticed the list. Danville, Illinois is in the bottom five. That is the... Uh, least expensive places to retire to to have an average lifestyle in Danville, you need eight hundred thousand rather eight hundred four thousand rather than a million or two million. Florence, Alabama, and Duluth, Minnesota. I've been to Duluth. It's not a bad town. It's lovely. It's rugged. It's cold, <laughs> but they've got restaurants. They got hockey up there. Um, I mean, I guess my point is it doesn't have to be so discouraging to retire to some of these less expensive places.
2: Oh, absolutely not. You know, I think that there is maybe sometimes a little bit of a misconception, especially if you're not from one of those places where you think, oh, it's going to be so boring, there's not going to be anything to do, I'll just be cold all the time. Uh, But the truth is, is that really most metropolitan areas in the United States have at least something worthwhile. And certainly, you know, life is kind of what you make it, and especially as you've retired, you'll have more freedom to pursue things like hobbies or do more exploring around your area. Um so, you know, I think that that certainly, you know, living in in Duluth isn't gonna be everyone's cup of tea. But, you know, I think that it does provide a lot of nice things and it shouldn't be discounted just because maybe it doesn't have the prestige uh mm-hmm. that, you know, a uh, Miami does or something like that.
0: I was reading a story I think it was the Wall Street Journal and they were featuring they were profiling a family that had moved from Hawaii to Las Vegas uh, maybe you saw it but they did because they couldn't afford to live in Hawaii anymore they said that this Hawaiian family they wanted to be in Hawaii it was their culture it was their blood they were natives but living in Hawaii as they were the average the the median uh, family home, the median cost of a home in Hawaii is nine hundred thousand dollars. Nine hundred thousand dollars, and that's they, they they ain't got basements. A lot of them don't have second floors in Hawaii. And um, so, what some of the families did was they would move two families into a home, and or, or and then one family rents one of the bedrooms from one of the other families. And even then, it was prohibitively expensive. So a lot of these folks moved to Nevada. Um, and try and make some money and then a lot of them try and move back but hawaii is insanely expensive right
2: oh yeah very much so. i mean hawaii is kind of a perfect example of how expensive some of these areas can be and and even though it is so sought after for so many reasons and even if even for people who were born there, whose families were born there, it can become prohibitively expensive, especially as you age, especially, you know, you might be able to afford something if if you're a bachelor with a good job. Um, But once you settle down and have a family, have kids, need more space, maybe need a house that has, you know, uh, heaven forbid, a second floor in Hawaii, uh, you know, it becomes much more challenging. And so I think that we do see examples. And and. The story that was reported on by the Wall Street Journal, whoever it was, that's not uncommon. In fact, usually when we look at data about where people are moving from, what states people are leaving, it's it's often places like Hawaii or California or New York State, uh, really expensive areas that can become quite a hassle to live in. Uh, And often you can get similar things in yeah. um, less expensive areas. And I think Vegas, you know, shout out to Vegas, it's, it's done a lot of work over the past few decades to make itself more appealing and not just Sin City, but, but a place where people can live. And especially older people, retirement age, you know, there's a ton of stuff to do in Las Vegas. And for as, much of, for as much as there is to do there, it's really not that expensive, especially if you're comparing it to Honolulu, for example.
0: Jacob Channel is a senior economist at LendingTree. You can find writing like this at LendingTree.com. Okay, Jacob, thanks for your time today. Thanks. Have a good one. More business news on the Win Trust Business Lunch with Steve Grzanich. Start your timer. It's time
3: for the Win Trust Business Minute, sharing Chicago's business news of the day. The medical school at the University of Chicago is the latest university to withdraw from the U.S. News and World Report ranking of medical schools. Like other universities, U of C cites inequity and misrepresentation in medical education. School says U.S. News misuses metrics that fail to capture the quality or outcomes of medical education. UFC says it's been working to advance diversity and inclusion priorities as well and believes the rankings hinder that work. Harvard was the first medical school to announce its withdrawal from the publication's rankings. Chicago-based Uber Freight is cutting 3% of its staff. That's about 150 people, according to Cranes. Most of the cuts will come from the company's digital brokerage department. Uber Freight is the trucking division of the rideshare and food delivery company. It employs about 1,000 people in Chicago. Uber Freight is the latest tech company to announce layoffs. I'm Steve Grzanich, and that's your Wintrust Business Minute.
0: Somebody give me the business of food. Oh, here's Steve Alexander with the business Here we food. go. Oh,
4: here comes the airplane. Baby food is on our menu again, sponsored by the Chevy Silverado HD. Experience your life in HD. Visit chevydrivechicago.com. Earlier this week, the Food and Drug Administration proposed limits on how much lead can be in baby food. As we've reported over the last several months, baby food, pretty much all of it, contains heavy metals, including lead, and there have been no federal limits. This week's FDA statement is called guidance, which is kind of like babies, it has no teeth, until the FDA decides whether it's going to make it law. And that could take most of the rest of the year, if it happens. And this comes after a Wall Street Journal editorial that said the FDA's food division is so dysfunctional it should be broken up.
5: In that editorial, they cited a lot of reporting that I've done.
4: That's Helena Bademiller-Evich, who reported for Politico before she started her own food-based journalism newsletter called Food Fix. The
5: FDA is struggling to set limits for heavy metals in baby food. You know, they're struggling to get deadly pathogens out of fresh produce. They're struggling to keep up the number of food safety inspections. There's so many examples.
4: And there is apparently something coming soon from the top, FDA Commissioner Robert Califf.
5: I think it's likely there'll be some type of reorganization within the food part of fda
4: and helena says those changes may have started two days ago with the resignation of the fda's deputy commissioner of food policy frank Iannis is a former walmart exec hired in 2018. He was reportedly frustrated at having an important sounding title, but no real power in impacting food safety. And critics have long maintained that one of the problems of the FDA is that it's more concerned about the D than it is about the F.
5: And they're trying to figure out how to have better leadership, decision making, you know, just a better culture so that these really important consumer issues are not taking, in some cases, several years, more than a decade for the FDA to act on. I mean, these timelines over and over again are just are just sort of objectively ridiculous.
4: But somebody's watching out for us, right? Yeah, kind of.
5: And what we just saw with infant formula is that FDA actually does go into these plants every year, but they were missing some pretty egregious food safety conditions in one plant in particular. And so what level of oversight we are getting from FDA and whether or not that matches what Congress and taxpayers expect.
4: And you can read more from Helena at foodfix.co. From the farm to your belly, oh man, I sure hope this is safe to eat. It's National Chocolate Cake Day. That's the business of food on 720 WGN. And Mike Marr
0: joins us now to uh, talk about something going on in Long Grove. Hi, Mike, it's John Williams. How are you? Good. How you doing, John? Pretty good. Uh, tell us about your brewery first. You are the brewmaster where?
6: Yeah, Buffalo Creek Brewing in historic downtown Long Grove.
0: And what's the specialty there? How long has that uh, pub and uh, operation we've, been in we've, business?
6: We've been in business for five and a half years, uh, which these days, if you're a brewery and you're over two years old, we're, we've become one of the old timers now. And uh, our specialties are Belgian and German inspired beers.
0: It really is true, isn't it? Or at least it sounds true that there have been so many people jumping into that game that if you've been at it for five or six years, uh, you've, you've got some staying power in the market, don't you?
6: We, we do. And uh,
0: we've uh, you
6: know, have kind of flourished over the past couple of years. The, the beer keeps getting better and
0: better. Um, our
6: customers um, really start to know us. Our distribution has been picking up, and uh, we're getting into uh, more stores and restaurants um, uh, every week as we go go through this you, uh, past year,
0: do I find you at Benny's and places around town?
6: Not at Benny's yet. We've uh, we've been working on that. I sent over another uh, presentation to him uh, this week to see if we can get them get going in there. But we're in, uh, you know, in Jewel, Mariano's, Woodman's, Sunset, um, and dozens and dozens of restaurants up and down the uh, the 53 corridor, along with um, many brewery, or many uh, restaurants down in the city as well.
0: So what are you doing in Long Road? What's this Alpine Fest all about?
6: Alpine Fest is something that we started back in 2020 and it was during the midst of COVID and we decided that we needed a way to kind of have a way to celebrate and not just be stuck indoors all the time. And so we tell people we're hardcore, we're Chicagoans and it's just kind of inspired off. Uh, I, I do a lot of trips to Europe. In fact, I was in Austria last week and got a lot of new ideas for, uh, for next year. But, uh, the, uh, the idea is we have an outdoor music fest uh, with uh, German-inspired food, and then uh, we've got the heaters, and we've actually set up our, in our Alpine beer garden, we created an uh, Alpine village with all these little huts that are all decorated and makes it look like you feel like you're actually over in Europe.
0: And then I enjoy grilled cheese sandwiches and tomato soup and um, stuff like that.
6: Yep, grilled cheese, uh, tomato, um, tomato soup, uh, rosti, brats, uh, poutine, so all sorts of good stuff.
0: Yeah, and then beer and uh, games, too, right? I mean, you're kind of uh, telling people, hey, let's, let's get outdoors, huh?
6: Let's get outdoors. We actually have the Belong uh, Grove Lions Club here with us uh, this year, and they're going to be running a bunch of games, and this is going to be, you know, we're, we're trying to, every that we do over here, we try to incorporate some kind of charity aspect. Uh, the last one was with the uh, Oktoberfest with the Lake Zurich uh, Rotary. And uh, this time it's with the uh, Long Grove Lions Club. And uh, so they'll be out there. They'll have the games going. And uh, so we are family friendly this weekend. Uh, we're always family friendly, but uh, there's going to be games for both adults and for kids. There's going to be stein holding contests, hammer slogging. Um, and uh, they've got, uh, they've taken a. Uh, uh, one of their golf courses that they do miniature golf on, and have turned it into a uh, little hockey rig for uh, for people.
0: No admissions charged. It starts at four o'clock today, two o'clock tomorrow, right?
6: It starts at four o'clock, but people started roaring in already at eleven forty-five this morning before we even opened. So uh, we're, we're already in full swing.
0: <laughs> and you kind of have the perfect weather, don't you? I mean, you've got some snow on the ground, you got some coming. It's not going to be too cold. This is the way to do it, isn't it? You get lucky.
6: We, we really lucked out, and, uh, you know, we, there's always another uh, competing event that's uh, normally this weekend, and, uh, you know, uh, and it's always a, a thing for me because I like going to the, uh, the Nargi Ski Jump, and they postpone that by two weeks. So now all the people that would normally go to there can come here and, and be able to do both events.
0: Mike Marr is the owner and brewmaster at Buffalo Creek Brewing, Buffalo buffalocreekbrewing.com. Have a great weekend, Mike. Thanks for your time.
6: You too, John. Thank you again.